Welcome to the Dog Training Audio Experience Podcast. As usual, the goal of this podcast is to provide you with value when it comes to learning more about dog training, dog behavior, and beyond. I'm your host, Erica Gonzalez. I'm a certified dog trainer and behavior consultant and the founder of From Dusk Till Dog. Real quick before we jump into today's episode, if you like this podcast or our other online content and would like to support our content, please check out our Patreon support page at patreon.com slash from dusk till dog. And with that, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome to the podcast. It is spooky season, probably my favorite season, and I wanted to focus on some things that dogs can be scared of or nervous about and give some tips today on how to go about helping them through it. A very common struggle I hear a lot from pet parents is getting their dogs to be okay with baths and sometimes nail trims as well. So today we are going to hone in on those two topics and discuss some strategies to help it go even a little bit, hopefully a lot, but even a little bit more smoothly. My guest today is Kelly Stevens. She is a certified professional dog trainer and the owner of Gonzo Dog in New York City. Thank you so much for coming on, Kelly. My God, thank you. I'm super excited to be on the podcast today. going to be fun, scary things. I'm trying to keep it on theme for October, trying out these themes. I'm liking it so far. And I just want to talk about this because I know, you know, as a, as a professional trainer, this is a very common thing. I mean, I've very rarely seen a dog that's like, I love my nails being cut. I love (laughs) hopping in the bath and getting all wet and yay, I'm excited. (laughs) Give me my, my manicure and pedicure. So I feel like most people can, even if your dog's not horrified by it, even if it's just a little bit of nerves or your dog is having a lot of trouble, we will be able to give them some insight onto making it a little less scary. Definitely. Yes. I'm excited. So Let's jump in. I want to get your feedback on, so we say like being scared or your dog's nervous, your dog's uncomfortable, right? We use these phrases. What if someone's looking at their dog, they take out, you know, the nail trim, the nail clippers rather, or they're getting the shampoo out ready or whatever, big or small, and the dog seems not okay, using air quotes for those listening, not okay. Uh, what what are they looking at? What are what should we be looking for to say, I think my dog might be nervous, uncomfortable about this? Oh my God, body language. It's always yes. the, the first level to any kind of fear, behavior, issue. You have to start to learn what the body language looks like in order, because that's how they speak to us. You know, exactly. they, they're not like, hey, mom, I'm kind of scared of this nail trim. They're like, uh, so you, you're looking at, you get the wide eyes, you know, you see the whites of the eyes, mm-hmm. the shaking is a pretty common one. These are some of the more recognizable ones, but just even avoidance, you know, if your dog refuses to go into your bathroom, that's a bad sign. Yeah. Um, if they run away when the water starts to run, not a good sign. So avoidance mm-hmm. is a big one. Um, some dogs just completely shut down or they just, they refuse to do anything. It's like they just curl up in a little ball and rock. They're just like the- frozen there. Yeah, like a statue. <laughs> the freeze, absolutely. Um, then we have like our calming signals, the lip licks, the head turns, um, full body shake is a big one. Like there's there's all these little signals that they give us. The, I love the ladder of aggression because yes. that really, really shows 
all the teeny tiny little communications that they give us mm -hmm. and then we get to the ones that we recognize as humans which is like barking lunging biting the big <laughs> like, ones the big dramatic what we would say like big show but exactly. there's little ones so they're, they're very subtle creatures you know until they're not but they're yeah. they're very subtle in how they try and communicate like i'm not into this i'm not cool with this you know lip licks head turn i always i always yawning is a huge one i always oh, yeah. forget all of them when I try and list them at once, but yeah, yeah there's so many. <laughs> there are, and it's also contextual. Like, you know, it, you have to look right. at the situation you're in because it's. I didn't honestly didn't teach body language for the longest time because it mm -hmm. is confusing when you start. Yeah, and then of course you know working with like fear reactive dogs, you just there's no way around it. You got to know what they're saying. So, so true. I, I do feel like that. You know, the body language thing that you're saying, I feel like that's. Although it can be as a as a as people who educate on it can get can seem confusing for some folks. I know I would be confused pre dog trainer Erica times. Just regular old Erica would be like, "What? What's all this?" But I think the body language, like you're saying, is the first level of recognizing that there's a problem, recognizing that our dogs are not interested or or are not feeling comfortable. So I'm so glad that you stressed that because. You know, it's so important. I think a lot of people do miss those little ones, the, yeah, the lip licks and all that. We look for big and showy. We look for things that are that are recognizable to us, like the shaking and the running and, you know, barking and even nipping, biting. They get up to that yep. level uh, with the increased exposure. You know, they're, mm -hmm. they're just basically trying to communicate to us the whole time. But if we're missing 60% of what that communication is, then we're starting in a really heavy place of they're already very afraid of what's happening. We got to come back down that exactly. ladder. Exactly. Yeah. I always say, hey, try to catch this. You know, you want to catch it obviously at a zero, ideally, but try to catch it at a level two or three as opposed to a level eight or nine. Yes. Because then we're really a little late to the party uh, to help them better. So I do think recognizing those little ones is really important. And just to reiterate a little bit for those listening, you know, a, a tongue flick, a, a, a head turn, like you mentioned, the avoidance, you know, it's a pretty good sign if that meaning your dog's not comfortable if your dog's running away when you take something out, an object out and they see it. Those are pretty significant things. And even just the freezing, the the yawning, you know, your dog's not tired in that moment necessarily. They are telling you, I really don't want to do this right now. So learning those are, are crucial. And I do think, because it's coming into my head now, a nice, there's so many books, there's so many resources. And I, just one that's coming up that I love that I know you know about is Lily Chin's little dog body language book. Yeah. So I will put that in the show notes for those listening. It's inexpensive. It's amazing, super valuable to have as a little coffee table, kind of little, little booklet. And it's super helpful if you're trying to learn more about body language. God, what if we could get everyone to just pick that book up when they come into somebody's uh, house with a dog? That would be fantastic. Yes. This is a requirement <laughs> to enter my home. Please flip through this book and then you could come in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that little, it, it's a tiny book, uh, you know, so anyone who wants to pick that up, it's not like a long read. It's literally just cute little pictures and a quick understanding of what's going on generally uh, with those things. And context does matter, like you mentioned. So 
I just want to say with Freddie, my little chihuahua, he does a lot of what a professional trainer looking at him would deem anxious behavior. Ears back, like eyes get a little wide. He might tremble a little. He might yawn. And it might be while I'm like engaging him or petting him or something where in the beginning when I had him, I thought, he hates me and doesn't want any of this. And then I immediately within like five seconds realized, and as time went on, definitely realized that he, he's more doing that out of appeasement. He's such a, he's such a like non-confrontational guy that even if I look at him and talk to him, he's like, Oh, I'm, I'm good. I'm totally happy. My ears are back. I mean, well, and then like, if I stop (laughs) petting him, because I used to think, Oh, well, maybe he doesn't want me to touch him or maybe he doesn't want me to pick him up. He would immediately like slap my hand and, and nudge me and get under me and rub up on me. So I knew it wasn't that he didn't like what I was doing. It's just I don't know his his whole background or his whole story either, but he's just very appeasing of a creature. So he's constantly making sure that everyone and everything around knows that like he means no harm and he's just like getting by poor little guy, anxious, just like his mother. And um, like, I get it, dude. But yeah, so anyway, I digress, but I did want to say some context, right? So back to that, I think, you know, yes, it could be a nervous thing or a calming signal, but you want to look at the whole picture and take a look at what's happening right before, during, and after when your dog's displaying things like that to get a good read. Absolutely. And I also want to say too, like it is to your benefit as a parent or a parent to, to recognize those things earlier because the longer it goes on, the more exposure, exposure that happens, the higher up the ladder they are, the, you know, the worse the signals are. Yeah. The longer it's going to take to decondition and, and counter condition them to feel more comfortable with what's happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> situation happening. Oh, nice. <laughs> Did we have someone bring it over to you? Oh, he will absolutely make an appearance. There's no I question. love it. I he hope so. About 59 minutes into a 60 minute virtual session, he just pops up onto my lap and sticks his face yeah. in the camera. It's like my time now. It's He's giving you the wrap up music. <laughs> Let's he's wrap this up. He's intended to be my helper. So he's a great timekeeper so far. Yeah. And uh, we're working a lot on the rest of it. I love it. <laughs> it's so, it's such a work in progress. Like I'm still, wor- Freddie knows that too. He knows when I'm on a call. And if I yep. even start to touch my laptop to close it, before I even touch it, I'll just go like this. And he jumps off the couch. He like knows it's the craziest thing. I should film it at some point. I'm like, how do you know? I haven't even touched it yet. But he like knows my arms going up to close it. They watch us so much. So uh, I would even say learn learn to watch your dog the way they watch you. Like be, yes. be, be that good at reading. I always tell people it's they watch us like it's their full-time job because it is. That's yeah. that is like the most important thing. Smithers thinks he's a total attention whore. So like all talking <laughs> is talking for him. It's incredible yeah. that he hasn't been up in my face yet. I'm, I'm very proud of him, actually. Oh, him and Freddie would be best friends then because that's <laughs> Freddie's MO in life. Um, so I did want to ask Kelly, do you, you know, for because we get this question a lot as trainers again, is is this nature or nurture that dogs are fearful of this? Hello. I see him uh, popping up there. Uh, do you think it's nature, nurture, both? Like, what are your thoughts on that? discussion about when dogs have fear-based issues this is such a good discussion i was thinking about this earlier because one thing that i i 
learned in the past year or two that I thought was interesting is like shyness is genetic. And obviously mm. shyness isn't necessarily applicable to the situation, but it is a fear-based behavior. Sure. So there can absolutely be genetics involved. You know, you get a new dog, you want to give it a bath after you get it. And that dog is shy and not, you know, not comfortable interacting with you so much yet. That plays mm -hmm. a role in it. Um, but I, I believe it's both. I mean, there's, we know that, that genetics matter. We know that certain breeds have certain behaviors that are programmed into them. We also know that all dogs are individuals. So we yes. can't, we cannot generalize just, oh, you're a Dalmatian. So I'm sorry. You're going to be like this or that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're a pit bull. So you're going to be aggressive. Like any right. of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, or chihuahuas. Good Lord. They're definitely good. <laughs> Oh, I have a pit bull and a chihuahua, so they get like the shittiest comments, you know, you like from the world. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you both like bust through these breed myths, these preconceived notions. Yeah, yeah. so you're absolutely right. I think it's a mixture because just like with people, you know, I have anxiety uh, issues and, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, did my parents have like, is some of it might be, yes, in your gene pool, you have some of these things that make you prone to just like any other, you know, illness or, or uh, traits from your parents you might get or certain hereditary things, you know, so I'm blabbling on here, but in your DNA, you're going to have some things that you're going to get passed down just because of who your parents are, or who you came from. And then secondarily, there's also experiences and are they negative or not negative? Or are they positive? Are they neutral? Like you just haven't been exposed to it. So sometimes people think, oh my God, my dog's scared of the nail trimmer or my nail file thing because you know, someone might have beaten them with it or whatever. And yeah, could that have happened? Absolutely. But the likelihood is probably just that the dog had either a negative experience with the nail trims or they didn't get practice like work working with that or having that around. So I'm always like, you know, your dog's probably scared of the vacuum. It doesn't mean like a vacuum attacked them in their sleep one night. It just means that the vacuum could be scary. It's just a weird thing. Yep. It's, I mean, it's, it's Occam's razor. I mean, it's, you know, the, the most likely explanation is probably, wait, all right. I screwed that one up, but you know, it is, it's probably not as bad as you think it is. It's yes, probably yes. the simplest explanation is the most likely explanation. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not even going to go down that rabbit hole of the stories that we tell and the stories that we hear about cognitive, yes. but um, socialization. It is so important. It's so yes. crucial. And it starts at like three weeks. So it's starting even before, you know, if you get a dog from a breeder, you need to make sure that that breeder is doing like a, a positive exposure program with that dog right. to set you up for success. And then you get them and you need to continue that. You know, a lot of times I find with behavior, people don't believe it until they see it. And yeah. puppies are like floppy, happy, you know, everything is okay. Might be a little scary of that, but that's fine. Yeah. You're not going to see any of that behavior until at least like seven to eight months. And by then it's too late. So yeah. then it's like, those, oops. I mean, I, I, if I had to put a number on it, I'd say like 90% of my cases are due to under socialization. They just did not. And it's not just exposure. You know, we look at these, even if we're lucky enough that someone looks at a checklist it's not just being like, okay, umbrella, hats, beard, mm -hmm. you know, nail trippers. Okay. I've messed up nail, nail trimmer. <laughs> I keep calling it a nail trimmer. Like it's a lawn, some type of lawn tool. 
So it's all good. I was, I was between clipper and trimmer. So it was the nail thing. That's where I'm going right now. <laughs> this thing that's, that's literally. I use a Dremel. So like, I don't even say nail clipper. I clippers, I guess. I'm like, oh, trimmers. I don't know. It's to help the nails. <laughs> when I got Smithers, he was a little funny about handling. And so, I mean, immediately yeah. I wanted to do, they're sitting here in my living room, just Love ready that. for the work. Um, Anyway, I lost where we were for a second, but <laughs> <laughs> we started talking about the label of it and what we use, but I'm glad that you have both because that's, I use the Dremel. So I'm like not used to using the actual tr clippers as much, but um, I, I go on about like how much I screwed up Sebastian's nails, trying clippers and it's, blood a, it's a process. It's a little bit of a process sometimes. Oh, and so you were socializing him to that early, you were saying. Yeah, well, as soon as he came in, you know, and yeah. I started working on him, but the, I mean, this goes to the, to what we're speaking about. It's all about, well, we were talking about socialization and positive exposure. A right. lot of that involves breaking things down into teeny tiny steps. It's not, Hey, here's clippers. Boom. It's on your nail. Oh yeah. my God. It's, you know, it's here's clippers. Here's a treat. Here's, I mean, we'll go into this more, I'm sure, but yeah, no, we could go into it right now as we're going into some of those tips. Like, so the presentation of it for it being in the presence of it, you're saying, yes, as soon as you, you know, when you want to start, it doesn't just start with like, boom, I'm going in, I'm holding you down, I'm clipping mm -hmm. these nails. We have to consider what the dog's emotional state is in this. And if they're in an emotional state of fear, there is no positivity that's going to come out of this. And it's going to be it's gonna be stored in the memory bank as these things, these clippers are a terrible thing. No good comes of it. Mm -hmm. And I want to avoid it next time. And the more times it happens, the more avoid it becomes. And then, you know, yeah, we forget about dog autonomy and that they are autonomous creatures. They should have a choice in the matter. You know, right. we're just like, here, I'll hold you down and do this. And I can't yeah. tell you how many times I see that escalate to the dog starts to bite because they are just trying to have a say in the matter. So, you know, absolutely. when it comes to like, you know, desensitization and counter conditioning, it's just about showing them the thing and giving them treats and showing them the thing and giving them treats. And, you know, with enough repetitions, getting that thing a little closer and giving them treats, you know, mm -hmm. food. I love this fact, food triggers the parasympathetic system, which is the relaxation system mm -hmm. in the body. So, you know, we get the cookie pushers. We're such terrible trainers. Yeah, God forbid. <laughs> Don't treat your dog nicely. It's un it's upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> but we're, we're literally changing brain chemistry by right. helping them feel relaxation when they see a tool that might not be so relaxing for them. Right. So That's like the scientific part. The more sciencey part, which us dog, dog nerds love is that, you know, think, think comfort food, you know, when I'm having a bad day and I get a plate of French fries in front of me, I'm feeling a little bit better about my life. So, exactly. you know, it does, food does change how you're feeling. And if you're too scared, it's also a good barometer not to go off, but whatever. We're just yes. bantering here. But like, yeah, like if your dog's taking food and all of a sudden now they're not taking food, that's also, uh, that helps me go, oh, okay, we're pushing it too far, too fast. Yes. He's uncomfortable. He's not interested in eating all of a sudden, you know? So if I'm all this, if I refuse French fries, everyone can know something's wrong. <laughs> Cause that's just not normal for me, you know? I, so, yeah. I work with so many fearful dogs when we start and the, you know, the guardians are like, it's the dog is not food motivated. They don't care. Mm -hmm. And the dog is honestly just so over threshold. You know, right. When I'm 
having an anxiety attack, I am not thinking about French fries or food or anything. It's like that part of your body just shuts off and you're, you're solely in survival mode. And that's an important thing to understand with dogs and any kind of fear or fear inducing tool or whatever is they are, they're in survival mode. They're in world mm-hmm. war two. They are under combat, under siege. Yeah. And they're just trying to survive in that moment. And I know none of us want to put our dog in that state. We also have to acknowledge that it is a state that they go into and it's our job to figure out how to keep them out of that state. Right. And it's the, the teeny tiny steps and the counter conditioning and the definitely a lot of cookies are involved a lot of yes. times. Or yes. if not cookies, you know, there's plenty of non-food reinforcers like play around the tub or, you know, play fetch with your dog. You know, it doesn't have to be all about food. Right, I agree. But I do think it's a power, food's a very powerful thing that I think what you're getting at here is it shouldn't be overlooked or been like, ah, we don't, we shouldn't use food. You know, as I think people do some, I don't know why, but as a society, I think it is like, how quickly can I stop giving my dog food? And I'm like, you're giving your dog food to live. So let's use it for shit we need the dog to do and help him feel better, you know? So just, I try to switch the mindset to something like that because I think that helps people not feel some type of way about how much food they're giving. It's just, you know, don't overfeed. You know, there is that worry, but I think as I just say simply this, don't over, you don't overfeed by simply not overfeeding. And I know that sounds kind of silly, but that's what I'm getting at is it's really not that complicated. It's just if you that if you did a really long training session and you use their food or you use something higher value, hopefully that they really like, maybe feed them slightly less for dinner or, you know, you go on an extra walk that day or whatever, just like we would do as people is like, you know, don't stuff your face so much where you feel sick. You know, it's just a general understanding of like paying attention to how much you're giving. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I absolutely. love the play idea too. Like, so to your point with the clip, the nail clippers, Jesus, the nail clippers is, you know, if you want to do play uh, for the, if your dog really loves a ball or really loves fetch or tug or something, you know, you present the clipper, the trimmer, uh, and then you, as soon as they see it or whatever you present it, then you can toss the ball or then you can start tugging for a few seconds and then do that again, rinse and repeat. So you can use play is great too. I just like food better in general. in food my life easy. and my dogs. <laughs> Let's be honest. Food's easy. It I is. Actually, I've been hearing more and more and reading more and more about how play after training can actually help the dog absorb the information more. So I've been using that with Smithers where, I mean, I'm looking at his, his little hide squirrel right now. He actually looks for the hide squirrel after training or, you know, DS and CC, any of that kind of stuff now. He's like, all right, where's my squirrel? Because that's that's my reward for going through all this crap right now. <laughs> I love that. Uh, but I, I also wanted to go back for a second because sure. the brainwashing that we receive from the time that we were born about what dogs are, what their behavior should be, how they should just do everything to please us because that mm-hmm. is their job in life. It is, uh, it, yes. it really shows up. And so much of stuff. And once we switch that off and unlearn what we think we know about dogs, it becomes so much easier. You know, understand, I tell people all the time, dogs are super easy. Once you understand the science behind what reinforces them, what drives them, you know, what punishment is, what they, it basically all comes down to what's safe and what's dangerous, what they like and what they don't like. And that, you know, they're, 
their whole world kind of revolves around <laughs> their whole world kind of revolves around getting what they want right out what works and what doesn't work and they continue to do the things that work and they don't do the things that don't work they're very efficient creatures yeah so, they are very efficient creatures <laughs> better than us i feel like that so but we complicate it by you know yeah. when we don't understand what dog behavior what the science of dog behavior actually is right. it complicates everything not just for us but for them too so yeah take, taking that little bit of time to just learn the body language, learn how the brain, you know, the brain works, the reinforcement works. It really applies to everything in dog training mm -hmm. and it, it cuts a lot of the difficulty out of it. So I do like that you tried to simplify it like that, which, you know, when we're explaining this stuff to people, it, can it sound complex? Absolutely. Can it be complex? Sure. If you want to make it complex, you can, but at the end of the day, like you were saying, it's, you know, does your dog feel safe and use rewards in your training? Uh, and generally you're going to wind up in a better place than where you started. So to keep it like super simple, which it definitely can be, is help them feel safe, help them not feel forced or pressured into situations and try to use positive rewards like food and play and praise and access to things that they like and people that they like and locations of things that they like and use all that to reinforce behaviors that you like or help them feel more comfortable with things that you want them to be more comfortable with. And I think circling back to, to like some tips for um, you know, like the nail, the nail trims in particular, and then we can move on to baths a little bit, but so we're starting off with, so a great place to start is what you already mentioned, Kelly, which is, okay, we're going to present this, this tool, like the nail clipper. Uh, and then we're going to reward you basically teaching the dog very much like Pavlov's bell, the bell, and then the meat, the, the clippers, and then the treat. And so we start saying, okay, this thing coming out means good stuff. And so we do that, keep the sessions generally short. You could do it several times a day, but just do it a little and then move on with your life. It doesn't have to be forever. Don't quit your day job to sit with your dog and do this a couple minutes over coffee in the morning or whatever. And uh, and like you said, then we start getting a little closer, then maybe we get to, okay, now I'm going to bring it out and just gently tap one of your nails. I'm not going to grab it with it or try to clip it. We're just going to tap it. And then we go there and you work up to maybe clipping one nail. Eventually you get one nail and give them a jackpot, lots of treats or lots of play. And then you work up to two nails. And I think a good thing to remind people is go for those small micro steps and go for like, I'm gonna trim, eventually, I'm gonna trim one nail today. And then tomorrow I'll do another one. And maybe it takes you a week to get through all the front paws, but that's better than trying to pressure it and rush it and break your dog's trust that you just spent all this time trying to get. Because exactly. that's what you, that's where we mess up as people. It's not easy to remember, but I think it's important to bring up now is your dog could be feeling better about it. And then we get really excited, understandably. And we're like, oh, they're great. Well, they loves it. And then we try to, we start getting to a place that we're kind of rushed and we kind of just want to really get it done. And that one nail that's hanging off, that's a little long is bothering us. And we just force it. And then the dog goes, this is exactly why I hate this. It's exactly <laughs> why I don't trust her. You know, so that's what you want to avoid is that like, for lack of a better phrase, a confirmation bias of the dog going, this is, this is why, this is why I don't trust this. <laughs> now, exactly. so don't break the house that you're building with your dog. Really take, it is slow in the beginning, but you're going slow to eventually be good with it. 
the more you rush in the beginning, the more you're going to be restarting that foundation over and over again. It's like a house that you rush the foundation, put all the shit on top, decorate it all nice, and then the roof's leaking and the foundation's cracking. You have to start all over again. There's a, there's a couple of like things and phrases that they use frequently in training. One is whatever, <clears throat> whatever the next step you think it should be, cut it in half. Yes. Like, you always go too fast. So you think, okay, I should him trip, you know, keep doing it. Trim this nail right now. <laughs> Let me just go ahead and touch it instead. Yes. Give them a treat. So always cutting it down into smaller steps than even you think that you should be taking. It's, it's helpful. The other thing yes. is slow, slow means fast. The slower you go with the process, the faster you get to the end goal. But when you speed up in the beginning mm-hmm. and you create, you know, like all these negative emotions pop up with it, you're going to have to double back and, and do it again double back and do it again. You're going to have to keep doubling back to get to where if you just start from the beginning and go slowly enough, you need to go at your dog's pace, which is again, the body language is important. You need to be able to recognize what they're saying to you to be like, oh, you're yawning. I should probably take a break right now. Maybe give you a little treat. Mm -hmm. But through those and then it it escalates, it goes up the ladder. They're not having fun. They're not going to want to come back and do this again with us. So absolutely. You will get there faster the slower you go. Yeah. I love that cutting it in half. So whatever you think is next, cut it into more of a micro step. And I, I, to use some analogies because, uh, you know, as dog trainers, we love these. And I think it really does help people understand. We should make a book. Yeah. We should make a coffee table book of like dog trainer analogies. I always think about that. Um, No one take that idea. No, I'm kidding. Someone else do it. Yeah. uh, So, you know, it's like if you're trying to, uh, you know, you're trying to learn how to lift weights, you know, you're not going to go pit. We all want to pretend we go lift up, you know, the hundred pound thing and break our neck, but we start with two pounds and we do that for a couple of days or weeks or however long. And every person's different. Maybe it takes me a month or two. Maybe it takes somebody else a couple of weeks, but you have to go slow to eventually be able to your body to be able to do the rest of that same thing with training of those two pounds too it's you have to consider what the effects are afterwards too you're building that foundation again to then do be able to do more later and if you're learning guitar you know you're going to start with just how to hold the guitar what is a guitar what are the strings how does it feel on my fingers and let me use a pick can i hold the friggin pick i don't know and so (laughs) before you're playing any chords you're just getting familiar with the instrument getting familiar with how to hold it and where to hold it and how to how to do whatever um so I think using analogies like that helps people understand with everything in life, for the most part, we are taking it slow. You know, if you're starting a new job, your boss isn't going to be like, here's five. Well, hopefully I'm sure there's are people <laughs> So maybe it's a bad analogy, but they should be giving you small tasks to get familiar with. And as you get more familiar with it, then you get more on your plate where you have a more normal day. But yeah, everything, my husband always says slow, uh, slow is fast or smooth is fast, which means slow is fast. I like that too. And uh, I'm always is fast so then I respond and I go fast is fast so don't listen to me uh but that's not with dog training that's just like with how I move around the house and things I do because I'm very sporadic most people I mean I work in New York City which is just millions of type a people that yes. want to get it done now <laughs> so it's it is that's definitely something that comes up a lot and, and I'm yes. one of those people too like I, I identify 
with what you know people struggle with when you do things like nail trims and you just want to do it you yeah. just want to do it and be done with it but I can't mm-hmm. because my dog is not a fan of this and so I need to go slowly yes. it's I mean I, I hate to say it but like ego is so present in so much of of dog guardianship not just mm. because of the brainwashing but because we're humans we're, that's yeah you know, we're we're in survival mode too. We're also looking out for our own needs mm-hmm. and switching over from that whole, okay, I need to get this dog's nails trimmed right now. They're terrible. It's bad for him. I just need to get it done. Switching over from what I need right. into what my dog needs. It, it's a game changer. It changes everything in terms of like, okay, now I can actually accomplish this right. in a timely manner because I'm like, okay, what do you want? Oh, this is good. All right. I'm going to do that and then end it. And then we'll yeah. do it again and end it and do it again and end it. And then we'll do a little bit more than that. Right. And yeah. So it's, time, you know, that's, that's the key. That really is the key. So I think, you know, and, and not for nothing, but, you know, we'll talk about this in a moment about some other kind of management things you could do in the meantime. But um, so to recap how to address this and start doing it, you want to start with the presentation of the tool, whether that's the Dremel or the nail, the nail clipper, clipper, and, uh, and whatever you're using, or even if it's a little nail file, you're trying to just, you know, get some of that off. Yeah, the scratch boards, all that stuff. Um, you know, there's other things you can use, like the scratch board we mentioned that might be a little bit more fun to teach that on the side while you work on counter conditioning to the Dremel or the nail clipper. But you're doing presentation of it first and then slowly getting to like touching it and then maybe clipping a tiny sliver and then all, so on and so on. I also tell my clients that separately from the tool itself, like put the tools completely away. There's no clipper, there's no nothing. And now we work on how we're going to be handling the dog. So like, are you hovering over them? Do you straddle over them and grab a paw? Do you lean over their face and like put your elbow and and put your armpit (laughs) in their face because you're trying to grab, like that all is stuff that you also want to train your dog on. When I do this, good stuff happens at a slow pace as well, building up to what it would, what your maneuvering and your handling was going to look like as if you were doing their nails. And I think that's a big one people don't think about. They're so focused on the tool. I got to use this clipper. I got to turn on the Dremel. I got to get them used to that. And yes, you do. But separately, you also need to get them used to your body language and how you're going to be hovering and touching them. Yes. So this is, this is where we get into cooperative care, you know, where, we're now teaching them even before we necessarily introduce all these tools we can just teach them what positions we need them to be in or or how to engage with us so like paul isn't he it's a great trick that a lot of people teach without any you know function in mind with it and suddenly you know paul if my dog gives me his which i taught smithers when i got him i was like give me your paw and then i can start to more easily Right. With you already know what the position is. Right. Um, Those but are it, really it also, it's, it is a, it's their form of consent as well. Because if, if I ask for a call with a nail trimmer in my hand and he's like, mm, I'm not going to do it, then I know that it's something's off. I need to, right. you know, condition the tool more or go more slowly with how I'm approaching. 
Okay, so similarly with the baths, if we have a dog that's a little bit nervous about maybe going in there or the water, or I know there's so many different layers to this, but mm-hmm. what are a couple, what are a couple initial things maybe we could do if the dog does seem nervous about bath time in general? So the first thing I like to do is just try and make that space a positive space. You know, right. licky mats, they've come up with so many great inventions now like the licky mats with the suction pads that you can yes. stick on um i might do things like just you know scatter some treats in the bathroom for them to find or i mean honestly i'm not a big scatter person because mm-hmm. new york city and there's things all over the ground i don't want to encourage it but yeah but you can take like a licky mat and you know spread some peanut butter cream cheese banana something on it and just stick it to the floor stick it to the yes. side of the bathtub and leave don't stand there and hover over them because they know that that usually means what's coming next. They think and you're trying to do something. They do. They do. I mean, they're, they're very smart creatures. They do learn right. very quickly, like what and consequences. So we want, mm. we want only positive consequences in the situations. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Why I say the tricky treat ball for last. <laughs> so funny. Um, so we want uh, only positive consequences. So start with just, hey, you get a really tasty thing. It's right. in that scary place called the bathroom. And then you get to leave and nothing happens as a result. And you do that multiple times. Right. Repeat this. So important because if you, you just do it and then immediately go to the next step, your dog is only learning that it escalates every single time. Yeah, you can actually poison the fact that you're giving them a licky mat in there because then they're yeah. like, this means you're going to pick me up in a minute and shove me in the bathtub. You're just yep. trying to warm me up to get all the way in here. Good point too about the picking up aspect of it. I mean, you get some dogs that are large enough to jump in. Also, I mean, one thing a lot of people don't consider is the, the instability of the ground when they jump in. Yeah. So putting a towel down, mm-hmm. which fine, your towel's gonna get soaked during the bath, but putting a towel down when they jump in so that they have some kind of grip or, you know. Right, so that's so important, traction, you know. Um, I even bought like an inexpensive mat online to just put down anytime I'm gonna be giving my dogs a bath. And so that way, because Jade's getting older, she's going to be 10 this year and her legs are a mess. I love her, but we've had a lot of surgeries on the legs and the knees and ligaments and all stuff when she was younger. So she's really sensitive to that. So, uh, and even Freddie, he's small. He'll, he'll leap over it like an agility course. Like he'll clear the tub. And then he's like, and I'm like, whoa, you're, I don't need you to break a friggin' leg. Calm down. Yeah. Um, so for, for stability for the, for your dog and also to help, it will help them feel a little bit better if they have some traction and they don't feel like now they're on some slidey, slippery slope. Yeah. Say that three times fast. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I think traction is so important and you can just practice your dog jumping in if they let, if you get to that point, feeding them or giving a toy or something and then coming right out of the tub and we're done. Put it on cue. Yeah. Put it on cue and yep. teach them. How and that that is this is not gonna work, buddy. That is also a form of you know consent and cooperative care. Is if if they don't jump in the bathtub, you know, okay, we need to backtrack a little bit because he's not comfortable with this. They're not ready for it. So and then the picking up aspect of it too. If you have a dog that you need to pick up and put into the bathtub, you gotta go back. You gotta way back to just teaching them that it's they're comfortable being picked up, held, all that kind of stuff. Because a lot of dogs are comfortable with that either. So. 
I like to tell people to take your end goal and then backtrack, go backwards into every tiny little step that you think is going to help your dog feel comfortable with it. And then start at the beginning. And if some of, those, some of those steps aren't, you know, working or they're going too fast and the dog's not acclimating or uncomfortable, break it in half. And if that's not enough, break it in half again, like keep breaking those steps down mm-hmm. until your dog is like, oh, hey, it's that thing. Oh, hey, let's go into the bathtub now. Okay. So and shaping is great for this too. You know, if you do shaping training, you can shape your dog to go towards the tub, to get into the tub, to, right. you know, I've done multiple approaches to getting dogs into the bathtub. Yeah. There's so many more. aspects. Yep. So we start with positive, you know, experiences with just that space and do repeats of it. And then, you know, usually my next step is something like to just turn on a trickle of the, the yes. water, just teeny tiny little bit so they can hear the sound while they eat so they can that and then mm-hmm. boom it's done that's it it's over and do that a couple of times and then if they're good with that then you can turn on a little more and a little more and you can work on actually getting them in the tub and mm-hmm. then you can work with turning the water on slightly and a little more and a little more again um and then you know you get towards your final product also don't forget all the actions and motions that happen yeah. so like the shampoo a- bottle <laughs> Yeah. Get your cup with your water that you're gonna, you know, if you're not lucky with like a removable shower head or whatever. If that's me, I'm using the old measuring cup. <laughs> I think I have like a like an East Village bar crawl cup or something. Yeah, like a this works. <laughs> um, if you do have a removable shower head, just uh, again, like they watch every single motion that our body makes, so they remember every single action that happens. It's not very unlike, you know, separation anxiety training and stuff like that, where you have to decondition them to every, you know, counter condition them to every step that you make. So start by reaching for the shower head and treat yes. them. Do that. Take it off. Put it back. Treat them. Right. You know, move it around with no water running, just like as if you were doing it, as if you were bathing them. You know. Yeah. So I think that's so important move the leaky mat into the tub and no water, nothing's happening. You know, right. oh, it's, it's, uh, that leaky mat is magic. I, I, love, I love that. There. Yeah. <laughs> and, and by, and by the way, for those that may not have a leaky mat or want to get one, you could just smear some on the side of your tub, smear some peanut butter yes. there and that's it. You make your own leaky mat right there and then you can wipe it down when you're done giving your dog a bath or practicing that session. And I think, you know, to sum that up too, like we were saying, it's, it's kind of like the presence, like this room is not just the room that you get dragged in when you're going to get the bath. This room yes. is a place we play. This room is a, you know, play with your dog in there, feed your dog in there, their meals, feed, yeah. play a game in there with, with some treats, do some trick training, do some stuff your dog loves to do inside that area. You start with that. And then you build, like you said, you know, okay, now we're going to approach the bathtub area and then you're going to get rewarded for any approaches. If you're sniffing the tub or looking in there or whatever, great. Those are going to get uh, praised and rewarded. And then maybe it's either getting them used to being picked up if you have to do that with your dog or if your dog's willing to put paws up. Maybe we start with just putting paws up on the side, getting in. And then you work through like just being in there and rewarding them for just sitting in there and then come out and then you're done. You know, it's just a matter of not building too much of that house, that foundation, just working on one thing at a time. And if your dog gets nervous, which is bound, you know, we all make mistakes and sometimes we're not sure how far to push in a training session. 
And I think it's important too to realize that you're going to make quote unquote mistakes. Your dog's going to be doing really well. And by accident, you're going to, like I did in the beginning, you're going to knock the shampoo bottle over with your elbow like a jackass (laughs) and frighten your dog because now it flew inside the tub and is flailing around down there. And my dog wanted to jump out. So you're going to make little mistakes. Don't beat yourself up about it. Um, And just take a step back. Mistakes. Is, are just information. Right. I, you know, obviously we want to try and prevent them, right. but they give us every time we make a mistake, we we get information about okay, this was too much for my dog. I need yes. to dial it back. Sometimes. So yes. it's as long as you take that information that you're getting from it and apply it to the future situation, it's Absolutely. not really that big mistake. It's observation. Yeah. Yes, I know. It's not. Oh, he's so adorable. <laughs> so yeah, so I think, you know, again, we could go on probably for another hour about very special steps. But, you know, I think I think if people are having a hard time, like really a difficult, if your dog is absolutely chronically stressed or chronically anxious about these things, obviously, you know, we like to give tips and I try to do this podcast to help, but obviously hire a professional dog trainer that can help you. Um, talk to a board certified veterinary behaviorist if you're really concerned about, you know, your veterinarian about how your dog's behavior is, is in those contexts. Um, but having a professional, if you're really worried about it or you really want to learn all these micro steps that Kelly and I are talking about here, that obviously we'd be on a, a 24 hour live stream talking about it, uh, you know, hire somebody <laughs> to help you. <laughs> Oh my God, we're dying for attention over there. He had his hand back. He doesn't get enough um, attention. Oh my gosh, she reminds me of Freddie with that. So yeah, I mean, this is a great, I think a great place for people to start with some of these foundational things, help them with the presence of things, being in the room, being around the trimmers, and then slowly working your way up to what your goal looks like. And I love what you said, Kelly, about get your end goal and then reverse engineer it of what, what steps happen before that one and before that one and before that one and break it down so you see what your chain is gonna be of gotcha. how we're gonna build that behavior. Um, and before before we go, I did want to ask you one other thing too. If, you know, we talked about prevention, so we don't have to touch on that again. I wanna recap that quickly before my last question to you is if you have a puppy or a new dog you know, having, exposing them in a positive way to these things prior to it being a problem. We mentioned this earlier. That's going to be key. And my favorite quotes ever is uh, socialization is the vaccination against behavioral issues. Yes. So true. It is so important. That is so true. Save yourself a lot of time by putting in you know, the work in the beginning and then yes. boom, you've got that, that TV dog that you had in your mind when you were like, I'm going to get a puppy. Yes. It takes work. Yes. But good work. Yeah. I tell people with puppies, you know, cause I'll be doing some of that, like rewarding the dog for like the lawnmower going off or something like that across the street. And they're like, Oh, they don't mind that. I'm like, if you want to keep it that way, pay up. Never take uh, your dog's behavior yeah. for granted. Exactly. Like, let them know. I like that you don't give a crap about this. Congratulations. (laughs) Um, So that's important. But what are, I always like to end uh, most of the episodes like this, because I think it's important. What are some common mistakes or misunderstandings you think people have? And we may have touched on it. That's fine. But like with 
cooperative care, nail trims, baths, like what is a, what is a common misconception or a common misunderstanding or mistake that you see a lot that you would wish people maybe knew about prior? I mean, a lot of it is just going too quickly. It's, uh, it's racing through, you know, body language, not recognizing or respecting it. Um, yes. It's that whole, like, I need this done now versus like, I need my dog to feel comfortable with the situation and, right. and the damage that that does in the long run. Um, you know, it's, I find that it tends to be a learning process because everyone, or I shouldn't generalize, but like a lot of people try to speed through it. Mm. And it, unfortunately, in, in terms of how the dog feels about it, it damages the situation for the next time that you go back right. and the dog it makes it worse. I'm not coming anywhere near this bathtub. I know what happens here. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that honestly, with any kind of desensitization or fear, I find it's a lot of it is just breezing past. Yes. We want to avoid what, that. What is actually happening in front of you or not understanding it. And mm -hmm. then, you know, it gets worse and worse until you are forced to deal with, you are forced to confront what is happening and modify what you've been doing. Right. You could, you could skip that step altogether if you start an approach, you know, from the beginning with either working with a professional or, you know, really understanding and learning what the process is and going through that. And, you know, yeah. it, it takes time and work, all of it. There, there's no magic pill product or person that's just going to, yes. everything is solved. Harry and Potter wand. There's no like <laughs> magic spell they're going to give you. And no. Yeah, I, I love that because, yeah, I mean, going too fast is going to be to the detriment of the training. And another thing I see a lot is, again, and I don't fault anybody. I didn't know this stuff all the time. You know, we're, we get the luxury of being dog trainers, so we kind of know now, but not every, I don't expect people to know this, but I think some a lot of, are, some of us are so bad that we end up becoming dog yeah, trainers. Yeah, like we need to get this under control and become <laughs> professionals. Yeah, like we've had dogs, like Freddie was a disaster. I talk about him all the time. Um, I love him, but he was a mess. And so he had to go through a lot of this stuff as well with nail trims and so on. But I think another thing is when people don't understand this about dogs, that dogs are really nervous. They do feel these emotions. They do have panic and anxiety and even PTSD type symptoms to certain uh, tra traumatic experiences and so on that I think sometimes a misconception or, or something that I think people don't realize is they think the dog's being like dramatic or being uh, sassy or, and trust me, I call Freddie sassy all the time in a joking sense, <laughs> but um, when their dog is nervous at the vet getting their nails trimmed or nervous getting in the bathtub, people are like, oh, you're such a baby. Like, oh, you're such a wuss. Um, and and they, they kind of, they look at it like that and I would try to, I think one thing as a society, as a species ourselves that will help not only everything, but help our relationship with our dogs is empathy. We need to have more empathy. It will help your training. It will help your relationships across the board, canine or otherwise, but it's gonna help your relationship with your dog if we try to empathize with them that they don't know English, they don't know what a bath is, and they might find that to be uncomfortable um, being touched and rubbed down in a cold tub with cold water half the time um, you know and I think I think we need if we empathize and go yeah this is kind of shitty and I understand this might be scary uh, that will already help you get ahead 
of other people who aren't viewing it that way. So, you know, your dog's not being a wuss. They just have an issue. They might have some anxiety. We have to try to help them just like you would a friend that's anxious about going to a, a gathering or a party or has social anxiety or has, you know, they're not feeling well, they need a moment, you know, so try to think of it that way, like you would any other family member or friend that might be having trouble. Yep. Yeah. It's, so, I mean, I it, it, goes back, it goes back to the socialization point, but animals by instinct fear what they have not been exposed to. And that is how they survive. You know, I love the quote that's like, you know, if they all just came out of the forest up to the people, like in the Disney movies, they'd be dead. They would no longer exist. Yeah. So it's very natural. Fear is a very natural instinct for animals. It is how they survive. Right. And it, that's important to know and understand when we get animals is they're defaulting to a survival mechanism. So mm -hmm. it's our job to usher them into this, you know, here's a bathtub. Here's what happens with the bathtub. Here's some good stuff that surrounds the bathtub. Yes. You know, we just have to, to make it a positive experience for them. Do whatever they need. Yeah, to absolutely. Like, okay, that's cool. I'll absolutely. That. Yeah, and I, I do want to say, like, based on everything we gave today, uh, a, a great way to wrap it up and what I tell everyone is you're you're in one of two buckets at all times when you're trying to help your dog feel better about potentially scary things. You're either, aside from prevention when you have like a puppy, if you already have somewhat of a problem, you're either in training mode, like working on counter conditioning, giving your dog rewards, paying attention to what they're doing, giving them a break, stopping the training, starting the training. So you're either proactively training if you're not in the mood tired, not able to do it, don't feel like doing it, it's not a good time, and you're not training, you need to be in management, which means we're not forcing the dog, we're not bringing out the clickers and scaring the crap out of them when we're not able to be training. So you, the, maybe we're using the wipes or the nail, the scratch board in the meantime, until we get back to the training with the clippers themselves or the bath itself. So you're either managing or training. You need to make sure you're always in one of those buckets at all times. Sometimes they'll, they'll coincide, but you want to be using one or the other. If you're in that third bucket, which is like, I'm not training and I'm not management and let me hold my breath and cross my fingers and hope it goes well. That's where usually things don't work out very well for us. And that's where we get into trouble. So management yeah. or training, folks, be in one or the other. That's my takeaway from today's episode. You might have to feel your little, your bucket analogy. Because yeah, I always tell people, I'm like, behavior and learning is happening regardless of if you're training or doing anything or not. They're yes. always on what's happening. So yes. it's our job to make it a positive experience so that the learning is positive And then that goes to a better future for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, Kelly, this was awesome. I'm so glad you came on. I want to give you a moment to, if people are wanting to connect with you and, you know, see what you have going on with your business and what you're offering, where can they find you and connect with you? I am on Instagram at Gonzo Dog NYC. I like to give a lot of tips on, on my Instagram page. So you can definitely find some stuff related to this. Um, and then if you want to connect I'm also, you can find my website, gonzodognyc.com. I do private training. I do virtuals all across the country. So um, Love and it. I do private in-person training here in New York City. This dog is being so ridiculous right now. He's about to fall off. Talking him. I don't have any cool projects in the works, but I do have some ideas on- Well, you're working a lot. You're providing a lot of sessions. So that's, a, I mean, just to pat you on the back of myself. So you're doing a lot over there. 
vice versa. It's, it's been a very busy time for training. Indeed. Yeah. We're all, uh, yeah, ironically, because of everything that's gone on, we're, we're, we're working over here. Luckily, I'm grateful for that. Um, so yeah, I'll, uh, I'll make sure to, to have you tagged in all this so people can take a look at what, you know, tips you're giving, what you offer. And uh, Kelly, thank you again so much for coming on. I loved having a talk about this since it's so common. I'm, I'm hoping a lot of people get some value from our talk today. So thank you so much for your time and for coming on. Thank you for having me. This has been really fun. I love doing this <laughs> podcast. I told you offline, like in the beginning, this was very hard for me. And as I've gotten better, right? I started slow. Like we're talking about, I desensitized myself to the <laughs> discomfort of doing podcasts. And now I'm in a very comfortable place. And I'm so glad to have guests like you on and, and just professionals in the field that can provide insight that's going to help people. And uh, yeah, this was great. So thanks again. And uh, for those listening, as always, here's my little corny sign off that I love. Uh, treat yourself and treat your dogs. If you'd like to support this podcast or our other online educational content, please check out our Patreon support page at patreon.com slash from dusk till dog. And as they say, that's a wrap, guys. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I hope you found some value in it. And if you did, please consider giving us some positive reinforcement and leave us a review. If you'd like to connect with me online, go ahead and give me a follow at From Dusk Till Dog on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, or Facebook, or you can visit our website at FromDuskTillDog.com. And until next time, take care and talk soon.